Well, good morning, Impact family. So good to see you this morning. So glad to have you with us in worship today. Let's all stand together as we sing. Would you stand with us, please? Stay. 
Can you say amen to that this morning? Amen. Thank you, Father God. i 
Are you thankful for what he's done this morning? Can you say amen to that? Amen. I'll tell you what, it's just so amazing to think of the goodness of our God. And just to think of what he's done. Our sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Our future is heaven. We thank you for what you've done. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so this first verse on this song, King of Glory, this is a new song we like to teach you. Many of you may know it, but it uh, just talks about how everyone will bow down and say you're God. Every man will bow down and say you're a king. So let's start right now. Why should we wait? Let's sing to the King of Glory. Sing his praise. Let's sing from our hearts. He is worthy of all praise. Let's join the angels as they worship him this morning around the throne. Let's worship him together.
our prayer today, Father. We want to be with you. King of glory, fill this place. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us and thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can worship you today, Father. And we pray that as we hear your word, that we will apply it to our lives, that we will become more like you, that we will worship you every day. Lord, we thank you that we can be in your presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. the love that comes from within him and he projects that love onto you. God loves you because of something in himself, not because of something in you. And that is the most valuable kind of love you could ever have. That love is projected onto you, not earned by you. When we come to God through the blood of Jesus, through the finished work of Jesus, we receive sonship, the Bible says. I'm no longer far away from God. I am a son of God. Awesome. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here. Typically, Tim starts the announcements, but first, I just want to say welcome to anyone that is a guest here that is uh, visiting us today. Uh, Hopefully, you guys enjoy your time here Um, Typically, I'm not up here too often, but we're going to camp in two weeks from tomorrow. So first, as always, pray for me. It's a long week. It's a fun week. It's an exciting week, but it's it's a long week at the same time. And it'll be my first time. I got a three-month-old, so it'll be a first time away from her. So hopefully the wife can handle the three-month-old on her own. But so pray for her too. Pray for her as well. But with that being said, um, the next couple weeks, I just wanted to give you guys kind of an update on youth for the next couple weeks. Obviously, with the summer, things get a little crazy. You got travel, vacation. We don't want to just be stuck inside of a building every day that we meet. So the next three weeks look a little different. So tonight, youth, we're doing beach volleyball at Liberty. But before that, so parents, if you haven't seen or, or maybe you just forgot, we have a parents meeting about camp tonight at 5. So this is talking about all just kind of travel, what to pack, just a little bit of everything. So be there at 5. If you need the location, come find me. It's on East Campus. If you know where the Runkin Pratt parking garage is on Liberty's campus, the volleyball courts that we're playing on are right next to it. So if you know where that is, you're in a good spot. If you don't, Come find me, and I'll be glad to get you whatever information you need for that. But that'll be tonight, 5 to 8. Next Sunday is 4th of July, technically, even though it's midweek. I know a lot of you guys are going to be traveling or doing gatherings or whatever it is. So we will not meet on Sunday the 2nd, I believe it is. Instead, we are going to try to do an event 
on July 1st, so that's Saturday before. Still try to do something, gather. Um, so those are in the working, just trying to figure out location for that. So just stay tuned for that. And then the week following is a Sunday before we leave for camp. The last thing I want to do is have a late night with youth group and stuff and then wake up the next morning and travel six hours to camp with 3014. So what we're going to do is immediately following the 11 o'clock service here or the 10 o'clock service here, we're going to just out here in the patio where the bus loop is, we're going to do a cookout for the youth and, and just kind of do our youth gathering immediately following the church service. So that will just kind of make things easier. It'll give anyone, if you're like me, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator, so it'll give me time to go home and make sure I'm packed and ready to go for camp and will help hopefully parents do the same thing as well. So that's just kind of the next three weeks. I wanted to make sure I kind of got that to you guys because, again, summer is always chaotic and a little crazy, and schedules are constantly changing. One quick thing about tonight. My weather app versus my wife's weather app versus Tim's weather app, if you, if you know technology, it's all different. So I have no rain tonight, no thunderstorms until tomorrow, but both of them have thunderstorms starting at 6 p.m. tonight. Still show up. I have a place that we can go to on campus that is covered, sheltered, everything like that, and I can get us in there. So we will still have an event tonight at Liberty at the same time. So don't worry about the rain. We can make it work. So, but I think with that being said, Tim, Tim's in the front. I was expecting you on the side. Tim's coming up to finish up. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you very much. And I want to thank everyone out here who has helped us get the teens to camp. And I was thought about it this week. I don't know if everybody realizes how much it costs to get a group of 40. We got a group of 40 going to camp. That counts, uh, I think it's 35 teenagers and five leaders. So we do send Jeremy and some other leaders to go with them to, to be there for them. But for us to send 40 people to camp, it's $20,000, right? $20,000 just to get them to camp. Guys, you guys as a congregation have helped us in so many different ways. And the teenagers have worked at some of your houses, pulling weeds, moving rocks, uh, digging ditches, whatever you need it. So the teens have worked hard. You guys have supported. We did the envelope uh, fundraiser last week. We've raised everything we need to get every teenager to camp where the teenagers don't have to worry about finances. So, yes. But, uh, guys, those of you who have invested in getting these teenagers to camp, you're investing in young people who a week of being centered in the gospel, being discipled, being loved on, and a week away from just normal routines so they can just really get into the Bible, it's a week that can transform their lives. And so you've invested in the future, and, and some of these teenagers, they go and they're not sure if they know Jesus Christ. Some, they go and they don't know Jesus Christ. They just want to go and hang out and have fun with friends. They go and they hear the gospel, and their eternity has changed. So this $20,000 is well worth investing in our teenagers so that some can know Jesus Christ and have an eternity with God in heaven. And then those who already know, they can deepen their faith because we know we're a church that believes in getting deep into the Word of God. We believe that you have to have deep roots. And that's what we do. And that's what we want our teenagers to have that opportunity to dive deep into their faith. So just I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. All of you guys who have sacrificed and given and supported our teenagers to get them to camp. I thank you very much. Um, Sharon Dyer, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Sharon's got a birthday tomorrow. 
Uh, so we just want to make sure we take an opportunity to wish you a happy birthday. We love you. We're so glad to see you this morning. You and John are awesome. Uh, appreciate you being here today and just hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow. Your family, I know, will celebrate with you and pour their love over you and, and make you feel special. So if you see Sharon on the way out, make sure you wish her a happy birthday. And then the men's Bible study, I've heard, I don't see John Pennington, but I've heard men's Bible study has moved to 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. So 8 o'clock this Saturday morning. Uh, if you need to see, uh, see me afterwards, if you need directions, but the men meet every Saturday morning. They don't miss a week throughout the year. Every Saturday morning, they're there. Uh, they meet at the Source 4 building. If you need directions, we can get you there. But Saturday mornings, they normally have been meeting at 7.30, but now they're going to move it to 8 o'clock. So if you said eh, 7.30 was too early, but 8 o'clock works. Show up, and uh, there's a good group of guys, genuine guys that get together every week, love on each other. They dive into Scripture. They get vulnerable. And uh, it's important for us men to be vulnerable with the other men so we can grow uh, deep with the Lord in our relationship. And then the last thing I want to say, uh, I have some friends here. Angie and I have friends that we love dearly. I would say they're lifetime best friends. We've known them for, for years, and uh, I mean, they're the kind of friends we travel to Texas to go, be, to go visit with them and hang out with them at their church. And uh, so they are now starting a church plant. I, re- I reckon our stories didn't scare them away about our church plant but uh, they've been serving the Lord all their lives. Uh, Julian, Melissa, Jose, Brittany, stand up there. They're our friends from Texas. Yep. So uh, we love them dearly. Uh, they've been here for the weekend. Uh, they came in this morning to kind of see how we operate. Uh, we almost had them tear everything down and reset it back up just to get that experience. But but we weren't going to do that to them this, this, this early on. But But our heart is to just pray for them. They're going to go to Port Arthur, Texas. So if you know anything about Texas, Port Arthur uh, is a place that not many people are looking to go. Um, but there's people there that they have a heart for. They, they've been in Texas serving in another church, and, and as God has laid on their heart, all four of them have a, a burden to go to a community that nobody else wants to go to. And they, they, they've already been there uh, for a couple of years now doing community events even before they started the church. They know, they, they, they know how to do it. That's what we, you serve the community and the community will come together. They've already been serving the community and the community is, is, uh, is embracing them and excited about having them come in. They're hoping to launch their church uh, sometime beginning of next year, in January of next year. So pray for them. Julian, Melissa, Jose, and Brittany, pray for them and pray for its poor author fellowship. Uh, and we as a church just, uh, we know what it takes to start a church, and it's hard, and it's prayer makes a huge difference, so, so pray for them. We love them with all our hearts, and uh, I'm sure my wife and I have already scheduled uh, three trips a year to go to Port Arthur, Texas, so we can be a part of VBS or whatever kind of community events that they want to do, so I just want to, as you see them, just go and, and talk with them, and they can share their vision with you and talk about what, what God has called them to do, but I think it's important for us to support other church plants and other missionaries. And I mean, because we're not, this is just not the church right here by itself. The church is the gospel going all around the world, and we need to be a part of helping the gospel get out. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for, for how amazing you are to us and how you love us and care for us. We ask that you just bless our service today. Father, we are blessed to have Brad as our pastor who studies nonstop the Word of God. Uh, he prays and, and, and humbles himself into your presence, and he loves you with all his heart. And he brings us the truth from the gospel, 
from the Word of God every week. We are blessed to be able to have the opportunity to come into this cafeteria and to listen to the Word of God like it's supposed to be preached. God, we ask you just your Holy Spirit will be in this crowd. Minister to the people here, uh, people that are just going through different things we don't even know about. Father, let your Spirit comfort them, encourage them, strengthen them, help us as a body love and support and encourage one another as we go not only from here today but throughout the whole week that we always encourage and love each other. God, we, blink, we thank you and we're, we're blessed to be here today in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Humility is not natural. It is often the forgotten virtue. It's easier to talk about other qualities like patience, kindness, compassion, or respect because they are seemingly more tangible or achievable. We can see an outward change more visibly and be encouraged by our growth. But the root and foundation of all other virtues is the often forgotten one. Humility. One of the most beautiful passages in the Bible and most vivid in describing the mind and heart of Jesus goes like this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen. You would think that the most powerful man to ever walk the earth would be able to do as he pleased. But this passage shows that his mindset was always one of humility. Though he could have had 12 legions of angels protect him in an instant, he instead chose obedience to the Father to the point of death, and even death on a cross. The passage continues like this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ was exalted after his life of humility and obedience, but the pathway he walked is often what we forget. Andrew Murray in his book Humility says, Jesus Christ took the place and fulfilled the destiny of man as a creature by his life of perfect humility. His humility is our salvation. His salvation is our humility. We must learn of Jesus, how he is meek and lowly of heart. He teaches us where true humility takes its rise and finds its strength, in the knowledge that it is God who worketh all in all, that our place is to yield to him in perfect resignation and dependence, in full consent to be and to do nothing of ourselves. This is the life Christ came to reveal and to impart, a life to God that came through death to sin and self. 
Jesus Christ modeled a life of humility, and in that humility, he was exalted to the highest place. He asked his disciples to follow in his footsteps, and today he is asking us to do the same. Will you answer the call of Jesus? To live in utter dependence on him, to give up your all so that he can truly be all. Amen. Can't say it much better than that. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. How is everybody doing? Good? All right. I hope you're excited to be in the house of the Lord. It's nice and cool in here. Not? I don't know, man. What the Lord's doing is kind of bringing remnants back of the tent. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the, believe it or not, the air condition is working in the school, which is not really working in here. So uh, if, if my bald head starts sweating, I get them sweat rings like your history uh, teacher had. Just y'all can laugh at me. I can handle it. All right. So, man, welcome to church this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, fifth time, 20th time, whatever it is, and you're searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, a place to really call home, man, we hope the Lord will lead you right here. If you're uh, searching, shopping, and stopping, we hope this is your last stop, your last shop, that God would anchor you and your family here. If you're looking for a church that preaches the Word of God unapolog unapologetically and uh, stands on God's word and is not ashamed of it, you're in the right place. If you want to grow in the Bible and you're, you want your kids and your family to grow in the word of God and be disciples, you're in the right church. Welcome to Impact this morning. So uh, we're going to get going here. And then at the end, um, if everybody's not sweating too bad, I'm going to briefly, we're going to show a, a land update video and give a little brief update before we head out. So if you want to stay for that after the service, uh, you can. So we want to be able to do that. But getting started right in, we know we're in our sermon series that we just started here a few weeks ago entitled Barrier Breakers, Overcoming Life's Toughest Obstacles. And usually we're an expositional uh, preaching uh, church, meaning we take a book of the Bible and we preach verse by verse through it. That's generally how we preach. But I'm always open to the Lord laying a topical sermon series on my heart and, and being obedient to that and preaching that. Um, the last sermon series we had that was topical was uh, almost three years ago now, and that was entitled um, uh, Counterculture, where we took 16 weeks and went through every uh, thing that the church is silent on today, and we preached on it for 50 minutes each time. And uh, we really dug in God's word and had answers there. So, so now is another topical sermon series that the Lord had laid on my heart. Um, with a bunch of topics to address. And of course, we started with how change is possible and some obstacles to change. And then last week, we talked about um, not living in fear. But today is one that really needs to be the, the kickoff, the start of everything else we're going to talk about, because everything we're going to talk about essentially comes back to this one thing. And today, we're going to be talking about the issue of pride and how to overcome this barrier, this wall that we all Yes, all have to deal with in our life, every single one of us. None of us are immune to this. So today's topic is um, overcoming pride. Everyone is infected. Not everyone knows it. Everyone's infected, but not everyone knows it. So when we talk about an infection, we should automatically think of virus. We know we just came out of that season a couple years ago, right? Everybody talking about a virus and being infected, this, that, and the other. And, and, and how many people just wanted to be infected with that virus? <laughs> Nobody, right? I mean, unless you're crazy, okay? Unless you went around licking doorknobs or something, you know? You're, 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 I don't know. Nobody wanted to be infected. And if you were infected, what were you quickly trying to do? Get well, heal, right? Get rid of that stuff. Get rid of the effects of the virus that manifested itself in your body. Got that? 
Okay, and then some, type, some people of that virus were carriers. Remember that? There's some people could have the virus, and it never manifested itself. They never had any outward symptoms. Guys, I want to tell you today, I hope you're getting a message already. Each and every single one of us have an issue in our depravity of man called pride. But some of us will let it be manifested out of our bodies and how we act, how we, how we think, our motives. And some of us, only through the power of Christ and through the Spirit of God in us, will be able to somehow subdue that so that the outward symptoms don't affect others. You see, there's a message already. You see, pride is a virus that unanimously is common to mankind. But how you and I think, how you and I respond to Christ and denial of ourself will mean the difference in how it's manifested outside of us and to others, right? And here's the thing. We're going to see that, obviously, pride is, is something that has some consequences in our own life and others around us if it's not subdued, just like that virus did, all right? It was... Uh, Reminded of a joke I'd heard a while back about um, a very arrogant gazelle. And he went up to this family alliance out in the field one day, and he was telling them how much better he was than them. And he got eaten by pride. <laughs> Some of you guys will get that on the way home. But pride has consequences, and we're going to see that in the Word of God. And here's what's even better. Yes, pride has consequences. Yes, we all have it. But did you know you and I, through Christ, have the ability and have the example set to overcome pride? That we don't have to be swallowed by this monster. We don't have to give in to it, even though it's so easy for us to do so. So right now, we want to dig in God's Word. We want to see how we can break the barrier of pride and so that we can have victory over something that Satan wants to use in my life, your life, in churches, and in our world to take us out. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we're in awe of you right now. Father, you are God. You're sovereign. You're in control. Lord, you've set us an example, Father, through your Son, to how we can overcome life's greatest obstacles, Father. And Lord, it starts with something that's very, very, very hard for us. It's hard for me. It's hard for everybody in here. And that's to deny ourselves, to put you first, and to look at others as better than ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today to something that we all need to hear, all need to be reminded of, no matter how long we've walked with you and no matter if we've never walked with you, Father, this message is for all. And, Lord, I pray that you would speak and you would move, Father, that you would pour your Holy Spirit down upon this place, that you would move in our hearts and our minds, that we would be molded and shaped into the image of Christ, that we would say yes to you, Father, so that you can do only what you can do in our hearts and lives, in our church, in our world, in our society. Lord, we long to make disciples. Lord, we long to be disciples, Father. That's followers of you. And to be a follower, we must be an imitator of you. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us do what we cannot do for ourselves. And, Lord, that's help us deny ourselves so that we can take up our cross and follow you. Lord, I pray that you would move and do what only you can do and you get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. 
diving in. And what we want to start with is kind of an allusion to what pride is. You see, the Bible says that there's a sin that started war and division in heaven way back. Even before Adam and Eve sinned and sin became into mankind. That there was a sin that kind of started it all, if you will. You see, there was an angel named Lucifer, who you might know more correctly as Satan, the devil, the lowercase g, God of this world, the great deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. You see, he one day was in heaven. We talked about that through Revelation when we went through it. And we know that there was a point where Lucifer decided that he needed to be exalted, that he needed to be lifted up. Pride infused his mind and his heart. If you go through the book of Isaiah, you'll see in chapter 14, verse 13 to 14, that Satan actually made five I will statements where he self-exalted himself to a higher level. And that pride caused war and division. I want to say it again. Pride caused war and division. And he was thrown out. That's great. But you know what the problem with that is now? That war and division has been brought to earth. You see, what did Satan do when he went to Adam and Eve, guys? Did he tempt them to to murder? Did he tempt them to steal? Did he tempt them to get drunk? What did he do? He appealed to an attitude of pride. To doubt God, and maybe what you can do is a little bit better than what God wants to do for you. And that attitude of pride led to sin in mankind. And we fell for it. And guys, we can blame Adam and Eve all we want, but you and I fall for it every single day. We fall for an attitude of selfishness, an attitude of I, 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 I. I need this. I deserve this. I don't like this. I don't, you you get it? And And it's almost... I don't want to say it's, we get that innocently, but we live in a society that's I-centered, that's self-centered, that's you deserve a break today. It's you, 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 you. And here's what's really dangerous, is when that attitude of pride and I and self gets delivered into your faith, and now you expect something. You deserve something from God. I don't like that church. I don't like that type of worship. I don't like what the preachers preach it. I, 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 I. Lord, help us. Because that's the society we live in. And it's leaked into the church. The Bible says that there's destruction. And there's already been an example of war and division that happens. I'm going to make this statement, and it's pretty strong. But it needs to be started with like this. You and I are never more like Satan than when we live in pride. But what's our goal? If we're a follower of Christ, our goal is to what? To look like Jesus. But then if we have pride, any type of selfishness, and we're going to see this even goes to our motives. That's how deep this goes, guys. 
Remember I said everybody's infected with it, but not everybody knows it? (laughs) Where's your motives? Why do you do what you do? Why do you spend what you spend? Why do you say what you say? Why do you, what? Where's your motives? You see, it goes back to the very deepest core of our heart and our soul. You see, pride is satanic. It's the mother of all sin because pride is what leads to every, essentially everything else we're going to talk about. It's an attitude of pride and sin, and it defeats us, and it defeats our families, and it defeats our churches, and it defeats our society. The sin of pride is a complete anti-God agenda. It's rebellion is what pride is, even in its simplest forms, because it's eye-centered. So what are some scriptures that point to pride? Well, we could be here all day doing that, but let me read you a few. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs is full of it, guys. Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. How about Proverbs 16, 8? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Probably the most common and well-known verse on pride in the Bible. But it's true. How about we go a little deeper? Did you know in Proverbs 6 that the Bible said that there's actually six things that God hates and seven is an abomination to him? Do you know what the first one that made the list is? A proud look. Pride. God detests. He hates it. It cannot exist in me and you in an unrepentant way. We need to be aware of this. This is where we really get down and serious and say, Lord, search me and know my ways, know my motives, know my heart, Lord, and and basically pull everything out of me, Lord, that's not of you and that is of me and is of this world, Lord. I want it out because I want to be a reflection of you, not a reflection of the enemy, not a reflection of the one that causes division. Lord, forgive me. Is that your heart? Move me, change me. Because here's what's really crazy about the rest of that Proverbs 6 passage. You can read it later in verses 17 through 19. But after a proud look, it says a lying tongue. A lying tongue has a heart of pride. Hands that shed innocent blood. There's definitely nothing more pride than killing somebody else. A heart that devises wicked plans. Pride at the heart of that. Feet that are swift to running to evil. Pride. A false, get this, false witness who speaks lies. Pride. Here's the biggest one. One who sows discord among the brethren. What does that mean? One who calls division in the church with their tongues. Behind the scenes. I don't like that. I think I could do this better. Can you believe that? God hates that. And it's so common. It's so common even in our church. Lord, forgive us. So where, how, what do we do to defeat this? You know, what was, I think, most humbling to me and maybe most shocking as I I looked for a simple definition on pride. I wanted to give you a definition of pride. And when I went online, and, and so many, even Merriam-Webster and this and the other, their definition of pride was very, very watered down. They used words in the definition like pleasure, 
satisfaction, happiness. Guys, that's not the pride that the Bible is talking about. I did find one place that held the definition correctly of what pride is. You ready? Dictionary.com. A high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing and conduct. That's good. Because it can even be in our mind. Did you know that? That's what I'm saying. Everybody's infected, but not everybody knows it. Where's your motives? Where's your mind? Where's your thinking? Are you being prideful? What are some ways today, maybe, maybe just maybe that people are prideful, but they don't see it as being prideful? I made a little list, and we could probably think of more, but I just wanted to give a quick list. One, and it's very obvious for the month that we're in right now, is glorifying sin. That that's pride, and people don't think it's pride like the Bible calls pride. That it's destructive. How ironic is it that we think it's something to be proud of, to glorify something that God calls an abomination, clearly in the Bible, of homosexuality and same-sex marriage, transgender. That's not anything to be proud of. Matter of fact, it broke my heart. Guys, can I just be honest? In searching and doing research on this, do you know the first thing that comes up, you can type it in your Google, when you type in pride, is a bunch of rainbow flag stuff. And you have to just filter it and filter it and filter it and filter it to get to, to what you really want to study. And it broke my heart, and God just broke me over it, and I just broke down, and I, started, I just started praying for people. Lord, forgive us for they don't know what they're doing. They're proud of something that's destroying them. And God, you come and you died and you sent your son to set them free from that. That they could really live the life that, that you have for them. The, that they could live in the identity that you placed in them. That you knew them before they were born. And God, you don't make mistakes. And they're so confused and so deceived. And Lord, they're lost. And I just prayed. Because it broke my heart. And I hope it breaks yours. It's nothing to be proud about. How about this one? Relative truth. People don't see that as prideful, but that is the arrogance of pride. It's saying, ah, what I believe is, is maybe different than what you believe. You're just on a different level of Christianity than I am, Brad. You see, I, I don't believe it says quite that. Let me tell you what, guys. There's only one truth. There's God's truth, and then there's no truth. Even if it's 95% truth. Did you know that if I tell you a partial lie, a partial truth, that I just lied to you? I can tell you 95% of a story. And if I leave out 5%, did I just lie to you? Of course I did. You, Brad, you didn't tell me everything. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to give you a partial truth so that you can swallow the lie. That happens in relative truth. I call it cafeteria-style Christianity. You ever been to, to the buffet, and you walk through, you'd be like, oh, no, I don't want any of that, or any of that. Ooh, I don't want that. But this, yeah, boy, that's sweet. Yeah, I'll, I'll take some of that. God didn't give us this whole counsel of his word so we can pick and choose and hear what we like and don't like. You can't separate Jesus from his word. For people say, oh, well, just the red letters are what Jesus said. <clears throat> 
Every word in this page is what Jesus says in this Bible. That's it. It's all his. So how can we choose Jesus but separate portions of what he says and think somehow we're aligned with him? We're deceived. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's, what, it's essentially what Satan did to Adam and Eve. Did God really say? How about a third one? Slander. Pride that people don't see as pride. Slander, deformation of character. Gossip. That's pride. Causes division in the church. I've already talked about that. Four, how about insubordination? Disrespecting authority. That's pride. That's arrogance. I know better. How dare you? How about another one? This, is, this, this might, might be a little strong. Area of pride that people don't see as prideful. Not giving. Not giving to the Lord and what he's blessed you with. It's pride. This is mine. It's not yours, God. I need this. I earned this. I deserve this. How about another one? God owes me something. How many of you have done that? Let me put my hand up first. God, you owe me. I do this for you. I do this for you. I do this for you. Come on, God. God doesn't owe us anything. He already gave his son and everything that he had had to give. How about number seven, the last one I had on the list before we dive in our passage to dig out the barrier to overcome pride? Search for pleasure. Boy, we live in a world that's searching for pleasure. I got to be happy. I got to do this. So much so that we, that, we, that we run from everything where our needs aren't met. Just as soon as they're not met, we run from job to job. We run from marriage to marriage, relationship to relationship. We run from church to church. If our needs aren't met, we just, I'm gone. It's a consumer mentality to try to find pleasure. So there's some examples. I think we've set the stage adequately. So now let's dig in our passage because God's word is going to give us the antidote, the answer, and the example to overcome pride. All right? Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, and we're going to spend most of our time in verses around 3 through 6. But I want to read the whole passage to you out of Philippians. So turn with me there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. For those of you that have been at Impact a while, you know we went through the whole book of Philippians in a sermon series entitled Joyride, and we took six months to go through that book, and we dug it out adequately. But I want to look at this more specifically just right here today for what we're searching. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. What is everything Paul just said there, if you had to make it in one word? Unity. Be unified. What did we say pride did? Caused what? Even in heaven, because some of the angels went with him. Division. Pride causes division. It causes division in your own self. It causes division in your marriage. It'll cause division in your home. It'll cause division in this church. It'll cause division in our society. Paul's already calling us to unity. Then he gets into the depth of it. You ready? Verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Circle the word obedience. You can't be prideful and be obedient. Not to the point like Jesus did, because it was even to death. That's, that's denying yourself all the way, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So inside this passage, we have a lot going on here. But I want to look at verses 3 through 4 right here a little more specifically because inside this, we're going to get five principles on how to be humble. All right? We're going to get five principles. And what we're going to see is three of them are negative commands and two of them are positive commands. Okay? This is where we examine ourselves. So right off the bat, we look in verse number 3. And the first one is, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. All right, stop the bus right there. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. What's nothing mean? <laughs> nothing. Nada. Oh, hold up. You, 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 mean, you mean even the decision for, for that, that, that new job I want to take? I can't, I can't be? Mm -mm. You mean that, that, uh, that decision I want to make about who I want to marry or that, that decision about what school I want to go to, that decision I want to make about what church I want to go to, what church I'm going to stay at? Uh, you mean that? No, uh-uh. Let nothing be done through your own selfish ambition. Not a thing. But that's hard. Because what does selfish ambition point to? Something that's not tangible. Something that you or I cannot deceive or pick out in each other. I can guess what your, your, your ambition is. You can guess what mine is. But we don't really know. Who's the only one that knows that? God, because the selfish ambition comes down to my motives, your motives. What's the motive? What, what is the reason I do what I do? What is the reason you do what you do? That is the motive in your heart and in your head. And you can act differently. I can act like I'm the most humble person in the world. And I could act like I'm the most lowly and meek and mild person. But if inside my mind, my motives are selfish, I'm guilty of pride. Because we can be imitators all we want. It's easy to put on a costume, a costume you can just fake to who you are and take it back off, a uniform you wear with pride all the time. So we need to take off the costume and put on the uniform. It's what God calls us to do. And this even starts in our mind with our motives, selfish ambition. If we look at this word, it's the Greek word erythia, erythia. And it literally means down to your motives. What your motives are for why, how you act in selfishness. This word, before the New Testament time, was only found in the writings of Aristotle. And it pointed to self-seeking pursuit of a political office with unfair means. 
That gets down to the heart of this word, doesn't it? I'm going to do what I do even though I look like I'm just in my cause because that dude's wrong. That dude's got it all wrong. I'm just in my cause, so I'm pushing myself to the forefront, and I'm pushing him down. That's this word. See how deceiving it can be to even hide behind something that we think is good, something that we're called to do, something that we think is forthright. If we're not careful, we can have an attitude of pride and arrogance and exalt ourselves. That's this word. Your motives. What's the motive? It's egotism, essentially. And like I said, egotism can easily be hid under purpose and calling and gifts. You could be and act like the most meek and humble person in the world, but if you're intense and your motives are wrong, it's pride. So to slay this giant of selfishness, to get rid of this destructive pride that's rooted deep in our flesh, it makes us want to push our own way. It makes us want to move our own course forward. It's personal ambition. It's the idea of focusing mostly on our own agenda and our own ideas. That's the motives that can be destructive and divisive. Yes, in your family. Yes, even in a church. It's selfishness. So the first call is to not act in selfishness, to take that out of our mindset. When you think about motives in the heart, and does God know? Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. It says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. He knows. Lord, help us. What's your motives? Let's not act selfishly in any facet. Second command, right there, right after that, in verse 3 of our passage in chapter 2 of Philippians. After do nothing out of selfish ambition, it says, or conceit. Or conceit. It's the Greek word, kenodoxia. And it simply means empty conceit, vain, vanity. Again, seeking glory, all right? So the way it's used here is actually the only time that it's used in the New Testament. It's used in the Old Testament, but never in the New Testament except for here. And it's a state of mind that seeks personal glory. You want to seek personal satisfaction and glory from something. So if the first word, selfish ambition, pointed to motives, this is purely a word seeking personal glory where it's emphasized. So it has the root of the first it derives from our motives. Now we want to seek glory because our, we're selfish in our motives and in our heart. It's a fight to prove ourselves supreme in our own ideas. It's the kind of attitude that causes complete discord in all relationships. Let's look at number three, our third point out of the five in that passage. We look after it says, let nothing be done for selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Lowliness of mind, that is humility. In humility, let each esteem others better than himself. So there's our first positive command. This is something we need to do. All right? So this is the corrective tone and command for the first two negatives. All right? So instead of being selfish, instead of being vain... I have to humble myself. 
And do what? Consider others, other people's ideas, other people's agendas, other people more important than me. That's how I start that. Boy, that's counterculture, isn't it? You see, guys, but that's the only place you and I will ever even start to have unity in all our relationships. Whether that's unity in, at home, especially in your marriage. You can't have an attitude of selfishness and expect to have a great marriage. You can't. If you're ever going to have unity in your marriage, you have to consider your spouse's needs, agenda, and oh, better than yourself, even if you don't feel like yours are being met. You see, the marriage covenant is just that. It's a covenant. It's not a contract. A contract says, if you do your part, I'll do mine. A covenant says, I'm going to do my part regardless whether you do yours or not. That's what Jesus did for us. That's Romans 5a, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that means when we weren't doing our part, he died for us. He did his part regardless of where we are. That's the beautiful part of the gospel. You don't have to get your life right first to come to Jesus. You just say surrender in the heart. And Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. And I'll give and commit and submit and entrust my life to you. You just do that. And then he does the work of getting everything else right after that. Man. But you say, how, how, how can I do that? Have that type of humility of mind where other people seem more important than, than, what, than what I want. By other, but thinking of others as superior. That's hard. But we don't want to do that. We usually gloat. We other, usually think of others as less than ourselves. That they're not as good. They don't run things as well as we could. They don't do things as well as we could. And we want to take over and take control. At the heart of control is pride. And some people hide behind, oh, oh well, well I, I, I'm just, I've always been a good leader. I'm getting, but, but if you're trying to control everything and, and always put your input and always do your thing, you've got to check yourself. Because I'm going to tell you, even Christ, we're going to see, didn't come just to control and bark orders. He came to serve and deny himself and lay down his life for us. That's what a true leader does. I mean, even to the point of salvation that we're pointed, that there's no pride, no selfishness, even denying ourselves, even inside of salvation. We know Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Why? So that no one can boast. So that we can't even take pride in salvation. Because it's all about Jesus and what he did on the cross. Paul even said in the Word, he said, if we're going to boast about anything, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. How about that? You want to boast? You want to be proud about something? Be proud about how you've messed up, about where you're weak, where you need help, where God's still working on you in your life. Man, we take that kind of attitude into our relationships, into our churches. Man, what could God do? I believe God could radically, radically change our relationships in our churches if we would have an attitude like that. But it takes the Spirit of God in us. Galatians 5, we've got to live by the Spirit so we don't gratify the desires of the flesh, that pride. We've got to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. What's our fourth principle that we see here? Fourth principle it's another negative command. Do not look at your own interests. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests. That we don't consider our own interests to be at the forefront. Again, when we live in a society where that's the opposite of everything we see, everything we hear. You cannot watch television without getting that message. 
You can't live in society without getting that message. That it's all about you. It's you, you, you. And we started by saying this, and this is where it's so dangerous. Did you know that if that leaks over into your faith, which it will if you let it, that it will leak over into how you, what you expect from God, your view of God, and how you even look for a church? Because it'll all be about you. Does, does God meet my needs? If he doesn't, if I don't perceive he doesn't, then ah, he's not important. Remember that statistic I shared a couple weeks ago of regular church attenders? This is just, just, you could tell how much this affected me as a pastor. Of regular church attenders across America, only 15% circled a little dot on a piece of paper and said that their relationship with God was the most important thing in their life. 15%, not of people that don't go to church, not of people that just come on Christmas and Easter, 15% of people who regularly attend church said God was the most important thing in her life. Ladies and gentlemen, that's scary. That breaks my heart, and I'll break yours. I mean, because even if I don't, because I don't always act that way, and maybe you don't either, I don't always act like God's the most important thing in my life. Can I just admit that? And I think you could be truthful and admit that as well. But if somebody put a piece of paper in front of me and asked me that question, I know the correct Sunday school answer. How about you? Yes, <laughs> God's the most important thing in my life. You know, Lord, forgive me. I don't always act out that way. But people wouldn't even circle the dot right. That's where we are, though. And this is everything we're talking about here. All our agendas, all our wants, all our desires, all our money, all our jobs, all our sports, all our everything is the most important thing of our life. God's just on the shelf. And we're supposed to walk in obedience to God. And even inside the church that, yeah, you know, we may not like everything that happens in the church. We may not like the worship music this week. We may not like what the pastor's preaching on in this sermon series. We may not, we may not like, the, the, you know, the, the, the hot cafeteria and the hard chairs that hurt your butt. I mean, I get it. I get it. But are you here for Jesus or are you here for you? I'd like it to be cool up here too. (laughs) First Peter 5, verse 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Man, submit. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Let's read that together. (laughs) Let's say that together. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. What's all mean? All, all means all, and that's all all means, baby. He says, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Lord, help us. Because you know our fallenness has a hard time with this. Mine does, and I know yours does. It's not easy. It's a high standard. It's a calling we can't complete on our own. That's why we need the Spirit of God to strengthen us, to give us that ability to do so. That's why walking with Christ, digging in his word, constantly being renewed in your mind by the word. Remember we had all that about change? That's why we did that first, to talk about what change looked like and how it's possible and what obstacles are so that we can now get to this. We have to be renewed in our minds so that we can walk in newness of life through the Spirit and through through the gift that God gave us. Because you have no example in Scripture of a person who came to Christ and wasn't changed. No example. If you can find one, I've said it before, please tell me. You have no example. 
But we have all kinds of examples in our world today of people who say they're Christians, but their life's never changed. Number five, the last one, really gives the antidote for pride. Be concerned with the interests of others. It's almost repetitive, all five of these things, saying the same thing, but in different ways. Esteem others better than himself. That's it. Look to the interest of others. What's the example? Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't even looking for to be exalted on earth, even though he was God in the flesh, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Jesus set the example. For us to follow, that even himself, God in the flesh, wasn't looking to be exalted, but come to look to do the will of the Father, to be submissive to the will of God, to the word of God. Hey, are are you and I doing that? That's the first point that we need to take, the first step that we need to take. Christ is our model. And he did that in every way, even enduring the ridicule, people spitting on him, (laughs) beating him, nails in his hands and feet. Spear pierced in his side. And he finished what he started because he loves you that much. And he paid that ultimate price for our sin that we could be set free. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That through him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 5 that we're now to be imitators of Christ. Because he set the example. What's an imitator? I've told you this before, man. When, when I was young, believe it or not, I used to play basketball. I don't look that much of a basketball player no more. I know, all right? I, I, my vertical's like four inches or something, all right? But, man, I used to love Michael Jordan. I used to try to imitate him and all that, and I couldn't do it. I was horrible at it, but I tried my best. Guys, that's what God wants us to do. In so many ways, we may feel horrible at it because in our flesh we are, but through his spirit, he helps us. I don't know if you know this, but there was a guy that came after Michael Jordan, even played toward the end of Michael Jordan's career, named Kobe Bryant. Do you know that Kobe Bryant idolized Michael Jordan growing up? Do you know that he actually studied Michael Jordan's film tirelessly? looking at his moves and then went and practiced them for hours on end until he did the exact same moves as Michael Jordan so he could weave through the defense like he did. And sometimes if you put Kobe Bryant's film up next to a Michael Jordan film, you'll see them do the exact same move if you start play at the same time. It's almost scary. That's an imitator. Guys, we're to be imitators of Jesus. If God played our film on how we act, on how we think, on what our motives are, and he put them next to Christ when he walked, would they be step for step? And if they aren't, that's where we need to repent and correct ourselves and ask the Lord to strengthen us, to give us the strength and ability to do something we can't do on our own. And that's deny ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to walk with Christ in a way that is pleasing to him, and then lets the light of Christ shine out to others and not cause division amongst others. 
We have the greatest example in Christ. Matthew 23, verses 11 through 12 says, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The greatest man to ever walk to earth, God in the flesh, didn't come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Don't ever exist to be served. Exist to serve in every capacity of your life and let your motives be the start of why you do everything you do. Because humility means God gets the glory for everything and not you. Humility loves to talk about the grace and the power of God and not always, not always all about your talents, your abilities, the things you've done, the power you have. The redemption of Christ, the redemption of man in Christ breaks those roots of pride. Because when we truly understand who Christ is and what he did for us, we realize, yes, that our identity is in Christ, and please don't get the wrong message that we're nothing because you are something in Christ. But then the command of Scripture is to consider others better than ourselves in humility, and then in due time, God will lift us up. That's what he did with Jesus, and that's what he wants to do with you and me. Will we humble ourselves before him? I close with a passage of Scripture out of James. What better way to close a sermon than with God's word? And I just want us to listen. We're not going to exegete the text or anything. James 4, verse 1 through 10. I'm just going to read it as we close. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? That would be division. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. That means you ask with the wrong motives. Didn't we just study that? That you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of this world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That he gives more grace. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Here we are. You ready? The answer, humility, the cure for worldliness, the cure for pride. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Oh, you ready? You ready? We're supposed to make excuses for our sin? Oh, but you know, or, you know, I'm just a sinner. How about this? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament. And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 
that is the answer to break the barrier of pride. Everybody's infected. Not everybody knows it. Do you? Will you say yes to Jesus today and what he's just taught us? I hope you learned a lot today that pride's more than just the arrogant, puffed-up person that struts around like George Jefferson with a chest out. That's the obvious examples of pride. Pride starts with your and my motives and why we do what we do. Is yours about you or is yours about Christ, God's will, and others? Break that barrier of pride today. Only Jesus can do it for you. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And I just wonder, I wonder, I wonder if there's anybody here today that might say, Brad, I have never surrendered my life to Jesus like you just talked about. I've never done that. You might just be honest and say, Brad, I knew about God. I knew about Jesus. You might even say, I believe Jesus is God. But there's never become a time where, where I just say, you know what, Lord? It's not my will be done, but yours in my life. I surrender. I entrust. I commit my life to you. You see, salvation is more than just head knowledge. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, believing is entrusting and committing. That's what that Greek word for believe means. It doesn't mean just head knowledge. Have you entrusted and committed your life to Jesus? Because that's when you're justified, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says. And then, yes, you can confess with your tongue and be saved. Will you do that today? Will you entrust and, co and commit your heart, your life, your everything to Jesus? Just surrender. Say, not my life, but yours, God. I'm for you now. And then confess him as Lord of your life right now today. Will you do that? I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I want you to do business with God just like that here in a minute. Or if you're hearing you say, Brad, man, I, lately, man, I, I've drifted away. There was a time where, where I've walked with the Lord and I've been in and out of church doors my whole life and I know I committed my life to the Lord. And there was a time where I was on fire for Jesus, man, and I was just enthused and God was working in my life. And man, I, I know there was proof of the spirit in me, but man, but, but lately I, I, life just got hard. It has been tough and I've been deceived and I've walked away and I've lost my faith and I've lost my hope and I've deviated into the world and, 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 I, and I've had pride swell up and motives in my life that are right. And I want to get it right with Jesus right now today. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do business with God in the same way and just rededicate your life to him and just say, Lord, I'm coming back like the prodigal son. I'm running back. I'm tired of the pig slop of the world and I want you and what you have at your table for me. Would you just do that right now? To receive it for the first time or rededicate your life to him just boldly and unashamed right now in this place. Just pray. Just do business with God. Say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I've messed up, that I'm a sinner. Lord, I've broken your word, your law, your covenant, your commands in my sinfulness. And I'm wrong. And you're right. Lord, will you forgive me? I come to you with a repentant heart. That means I want to change. I want to turn. I'm done living for myself and the things of this world. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, God in the flesh, that his body was broken and his blood was shed, that I could be forgiven, that I could, that could walk out free today. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God in the flesh. And Lord, that he stands in victory right now over all hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I want that same victory right now in my life. Lord, I need it. My family needs it. My friends need it. 
Lord, give me the strength and the ability to deny myself and follow you every day of my life. Because my commitment is to every day, every step I take and every breath I make will be for your glory from this point forward. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. If you did business with Jesus right there today for the first time, or you rededicated your life to him, no one looking around, just a stand and a step between you and Jesus, just boldly and unashamed, raise your hand and say, Brad, I did business with Jesus today, and I'm not ashamed. Amen. We're going to close our service like we do every week here at Impact. I'm just going to offer you the opportunity to put action to your feet with what God's doing in your heart right now. Maybe it's through the message that was, was given today. Maybe you just made a decision for the Lord. Maybe you just need to come up here to be pastors up here. You just want to pray with somebody. You got to, man, you're going through a hard time in your life. You're going through a struggle with a health situation, a relationship, finances, whatever it is. Man, you just need some prayer. Just come. Maybe you want to pray about joining the church, about getting plugged in, about serving. Whatever it is, right now, let's stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our heart. Let's sing with all our voice. And right now, let's just come as the Lord leads. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus be the center of
Jesus be the center of it all. Jesus be the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, oh Jesus. church. Can we give Jesus a big round of applause for who he is, how he moves and speaks and does what he does through his word. His word changes life, and I don't know about, know about you, but I'm hungry for it. I love his word. So let's take this word today. Let's go make an impact for Christ in our own lives first, in our families, in our homes, in our church, and then in the world around us. God will do an amazing work if we will humble ourselves before him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Let's take that and go make an impact for Christ. And then if you want to hang out and stay, I'm going to give a quick land development update, play a little video if you want to stay for that. If you can, if you're sweating too bad and you got to go, that's cool. Y'all just go ahead and move on out. Got to pick your kids up, go get a grab to eat, whatever. But if you want to stay, please do so. Thank you. We'll see you next Sunday. And I'll go ahead and just start talking as everybody exits.